name is Han. Um, that's short for Han Ri, nice Afrikaans name. Um, but my parents were not aware of the technicalities of putting an accent sign on the E. So actually, my name is spelled Han Rai, which is the correct way of saying it, but it's Han Ri. So therefore, I am now Han. <laughs> so um, if you, you were revealing your age, if you said like Han Solo, but now not because Star Wars 7 came out, so everybody knows who Han Solo is. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to say anything further about it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Um, yeah, Dinda started with the most official thing, which is... Uh, thank you, Dinda. Uh, but um, one or two sentences about me. Uh, I obviously, I love studying. I love the Bible. Um, I might bore you with it. Let's hope not. Uh, it's not that obvious, but I do love tattoos. Uh, and these, these ones are my... It's my journey with God. Um, at one stage or another, I'll give you the five-minute, which Sardal will roll his eyes at and say it's more of a ten-minute explanation of what all of them are. And I chose to put them here because it's truer than my feelings ever are or than, um, yeah, than anything I think. So I wanted it to be here and be visible so I can see them as well. Uh, I'm, I've been married. Sardal has been in prison for 13 years. Sardal, that's him. Stand up and wave, come on. <laughs> Sardal does not like tattoos, so don't look at me and ask him what he has. He has nothing. He has no piercings, he has no tattoos, he actually doesn't like them. He's grown with his poor wife to say he likes them on me, which is sweet. So, um, yes, he's not into that kind of thing. Um, I hope we'll see how this goes. I hope this is the first of many. And um, let's dive in. Is there anything that you want to ask me before we start that's going to bother you the whole time so you're not going to hear a word that I say? <laughs> Nothing. Okay, I'm going to remove the bell. Thank you. Right. So, um, oh, I, I do move around, and especially since you're spread out, don't worry if I move around. I use my hands a lot. Uh, thanks, Carmen, for leading us through the awkwardness. Um, the more... <laughs> The more I get to know God, the more I, and that's very fitting, Milani, with um, the picture. The kingdom of God and worshiping God is about awkwardness and getting through the awkwardness. So if you thought that this was going to be one of those feel good, it's not. It's, it's awkward. And it's wonderful because we need to get through that because it's not really that bad. And we can become like the new pentatonics, but with rhythm and stuff, we just need to practice more. So then we can start streaming YouTube videos. Okay, so um, last week we started with Jesus the Original Punk. Uh, Nicholas read from Matthew 13, where he talked about, well, the parables, three different parables that talk about the kingdom of God is like, is like working in a field and finding a treasure. It's like being a merchant and finding a very precious pearl that you want to buy. It's um, like fishing and finding a very precious fish. So it's all about the ordinary stuff, the stuff we do every day. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like gardening, so when he talked about the kingdom of God as working in the field, we did gardening today. I just thought I don't see the kingdom of God here. This is something that I need to repent of. 
But okay, um, it's about the ordinary. It's about where you are and what you are doing, what you're busy with. The kingdom of God is not somewhere out there. It's not this majestic thing. It's in the normal, in the everyday. Um, and he did a wonderful thing. He talked about how do we see the kingdom of God then is that we need to doubt the default. We need to start doubting the ordinary. And when you find yourself thinking, I'm in a rut or I'm frustrated, then you need to start doubting that and thinking about how is God in this? Because God is in this. Where is he? And what can I do to experience him? And um, that the kingdom of God is not something that's out there or up there, depending on where you want to see heaven. The kingdom of God is here, is with us. It started with Jesus. That's why he began his ministry with saying the kingdom of God is near. And with his life, it became open. So we are part of the kingdom of God. Welcome. If you didn't know that, you are part of the kingdom. It's in South Africa, in Pretoria, in third place. So now we get on to, and he, of course he showed us that beautiful video, which always makes me want to cry, um, of the Japanese guy who just does kind things. I don't know if you've seen it. It was viral at one point, where he sees a pot dry and water running down. He puts the pot in. He helps a lady with her food trolley. He feeds a dog. And none of those things are things that are going to come back to you necessarily. I mean, the lady snaps at him because he's late. Um, the dog obviously eats his food. Uh, but in the end, how these things result, because a tree, a plant grows in the pot. The lady starts giving things away for free because she's experiencing kindness. The dog becomes his dog, and he's not alone anymore. So that was beautiful and challenging. Tonight is also going to be challenging. Um, it might sound harsh at times. Please bear with me, because it's challenging and harsh to me as well. While I was writing this, I was thinking, I don't want to hear this, but we need to hear this, so we'll do it. Um, first, when we talk about this week's topic, I want to, I don't know if you guys read that um, we're going to read from Luke, and I called it the original punk gospel. And I want to explain to you guys why, um, especially in terms of the other gospels. Luke is the one where everything is radical. Jesus is very radical. All of your radical, and the one we are reading tonight is also in Luke, all of your radical parables are in Luke. He paints Jesus as a total rebel who just comes and breaks down all boundaries, where somebody like Matthew, who's writing to Jewish Christians, tries to paint Jesus as a, a, a Jewish Messiah. So he gives us lots of promises and things from the Old Testament that come true with Jesus. Yes. He was a Jew, yes. Which is good. He should have been. And he still was when he died. He didn't change. Um, but the... Jews didn't like that. They didn't want to think of him like that way. So in Matthew, he tries to tell them, but look, all of these things that you are looking forward to, hey, presto, there's Jesus. He did all of that. So draw the line, make the connection. And um, Mark is very short. Mark gives us the essentials. He gives us what we need to know, and that's it. There's no extra fluff stuff explaining. He just gives us the 101. Jesus Kingdom of God 101, that's Mark. Where John, I always call it our first dogmatic book, 
because Jesus, is, he loves long speeches in, Mark, in John. My gosh. There are places where he does three chapters of talking and talking and talking, and it's very high. So it's, you, it's easy to lose focus in John. So that's the, th- that's the Gospels, and Luke is the one that says, it's not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles from the beginning. Luke is the one that says all boundaries need to be broken. It's not about purity. It's not about anything. So that's why we call it the original punk gospel. So if you want to read one of the gospels in this time that we're doing this series, then try Luke. If you've got, if you added a discipline of reading a few verses a day, do Luke. Okay. Um, right. Moving on to parables, because all of us are going to read a parable. Parables are wonderful. Not yet. No, it's not, a, it's not a problem. So moving on to parables. <laughs> parables are, they're really great. It says a lot to me about who Jesus was as a person because he used everyday examples. So he didn't, except in John, where he speaks very high and mighty, but he used everyday stories. So we talk about a farmer or a wife in a house cleaning who loses a, a coin or any of those things, which is great because it means that everybody understood him. But it's also not so great because when we read it, we think, yeah, but I know, I, I mean, I've seen farmers on photos. I, I do clean my house sometimes. I, do, I know what money is. So because it's such an easy image, we immediately take it to today because we know those kinds of things. And then a lot gets lost in translation because we don't share the same values that they did. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to read the parable of the feast and then we're going to talk about how they would have understood it. And then we're going to bring it back here. Okay. If you ever have a question or you feel like you're not with me, please put up your hand and just stop me. I won't mind. It's not going to be the end of the world. But... So let's get into it. Um, yeah, because I want us to do that. Because otherwise it's like an inside joke. You know, people have inside jokes that they sometimes make in front of you and they laugh and you've like left out. Or an inside story that everybody knows. So you're around the campfire and they're like, you remember that time? And everybody's like, yes, that time. And you don't. And I don't know about you, but FOMO is a clear and present danger in my life every day. So I'm going to try and help us to prevent FOMO with this at least. So if you guys have got a Bible with you, I'm technologically advanced. So I've got my Bible on my phone. (laughs) If you've got it on your phone as well, we're going to read from Luke 14 from verse 16. You're going to wonder why we don't read the first verse. It's an intro where they're at a feast or at a meal, and as Jesus was talking, one guy says, sure, that kingdom of God you're talking about, that sounds like a great place to be in one day. And then he goes over into the story. Okay, Luke 14 from verse 16. Has everybody got where they want to be? Good. Jesus said to him, there was once a man who was giving a great feast to which he invited many people. When it was time for the feast, he sent his servant to tell his guests, Come, everything is ready. But they all began, one after another, to make excuses. The first one told the servant, I've bought a field and must go and look at it. Please accept my apologies. 
Another one said, I have bought five pairs of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another one said, I have just got married, and for that reason, I cannot come. Wink, wink. The servant went back and told all to his master. The master was furious and said to his servant, hurry out to the streets and alleys of the town and bring back the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Soon the servant said, your order has been carried out, sir, but there is room for more. So the master said to the servant, go out to the country roads and lanes and make people come in so that my house will be full. I tell you all that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Okay, so let's start with the obvious. The parable takes place in a city. And in a city context, it was very important. Now, there we go. In a city context, it was very important to remember that there were boundaries. There were spaces that people occupied, and you had boundaries between them, and you couldn't cross them. So in your classic ancient city, you would have the inner city where the temples were and all of the rich lived, all of the elite, the high-ups, the who's who, they lived there. Then you would have a wall with gates, so that regulates access. You can't, nobody can just get in. Then you would have an outer layer of the city where your lower-class citizens would live. So you're not completely worthless yet, but you're not, as w you're not as amazing as the elite. So probably you would be a trader or a kind of craftsman. They needed your services. You, would, you could also be a prostitute. They also needed your services. But so you would be in the outer layer of the city. And then you would have people outside the city who would literally have to live in the fields. If they could build themselves a shack, they built themselves a shack. Those were the people who did not count at all. And everything was regulated because mixing was not on. Mixing meant that you would bring dishonor on yourself. So when we think about the city that he's talking about, think about this. There are places where you where you are, where you are allowed to be, and that's where you're allowed to be, unless we tell you otherwise, unless we let you in. So that's why we have the beautiful do not cross. Right, it's not the yellow brick road, we're not going into Oz, it's just to tell you that boundaries were very, very important. Much more important than they are to us today. Okay, then, when we go on to the next part, this is about values. And there are three values that are very important in this, in this parable that we need to understand. Of course, what are values? Values are the things that drive us. They are the things that make us the people who we are, that make us think this is important, this is not important. Uh, a value in, a Western, in most Western uh, cities or countries would be capitalism. Capitalism is a value. So money, 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 money. But in the ancient times, this would be, the moment they heard this parable, all of these things would start featuring for them. And they understood it differently. So they heard it and they would immediately, oh, okay, this is what he means. Oh, but this is strange. And we don't necessarily look at it. We think it's strange that he invites them twice and we think the excuses are strange. 
but that's as far as it goes. So the values are honor and shame. That is the most important value of the ancient world. Honor, of course, is you want honor. That is what you fight for. Honor was, as you know, the Bible was a very egalitarian society. No, it wasn't. Men were on top. So men were the symbol of honor, and they had to defend honor, and they had to get more honor. So you had to keep your honor, and you, try, you had to try to get more. Okay? Where shame was something that was associated with women, and it was more about protecting honor by not doing anything that can cause shame. So that's why women were kept inside the house when they were left allowed to go outside, they would have to have a male companion, all of those wonderful things. And that was the currency. Honor was the currency of the day. Like money is today, honor is what, what you wanted, what you needed. Right, then we get to reciprocity, big word, but you guys are, you will understand it. Um, and I call it friendship, aka friendship, because that was what friendship was. When we think about friendship, we think about warm and fuzzy feelings. You meet somebody and you're like, yes, we're clicking, this is fantastic. We come over to your house, you come over to ours, and a friendship forms. It's about emotion and about choosing people. And it's about, your, about love, about all of those soft stuff. In, yeah, the soft pink, the pink inside. In the ancient days, friendship was about who you knew and what they could do for you. What you could do for them, and what they could do for you in return. So friendship was a transaction, just like marriage was. It was not about love and soft pink feelings. It was about political power, economic power, and what you can do. So when we were friends, that meant that I see you as on the same level as my, I should actually, point to you because I'm your female and I'm not supposed to have the same honor as a male. So I think our honor is on the same level and therefore we can interact because we're not going to do each other damage. And hopefully you've got something I want and I've got something you want. And that's why we are friends. Sounds wonderful, right? Just makes you want to explode with emotion. Right. Then we've got a next one, which is purity and pollution. Along with honor came purity. To be honorable was to be pure. And there you've all at least glanced at some of the Old Testament um, books that are so interesting to read because there are miles and miles of rules that some of them we just think, what the hell is going on here? Like Deuteronomy, like Leviticus, those, all of those beautiful page turners. But what is, it, what is it all about? It's about how do I stay pure. Because if I want to be acceptable, I need to be pure. And being pure obviously means avoiding pollution. And pollution is not um, the 11th hour pollution that we think about that's warming the earth. Pollution is anything that you do that brings you in contact with the possibility of becoming impure. And that meant people as well. Because if you were an elite and you had contact which was not arranged contact or a transaction with somebody in the outer row of the city. They had less honor than you. They were less of a person than you. So they made you impure. And it goes down levels. 
So you, would, you want to protect your purity and you want to stay away from pollution. Okay, now, so these are the three things. And as we're going to talk through the parable now, I hope you're going to see them. I hope you're going to hear them. Let's see how that works. So when we start, we, and we want to hear it from the POV of the listeners, the original listeners, who wants to, what's POV? Point of view, yes, that's not something that just artists and people, presenters on TV have. They're not the only ones who have a POV, we also have one. So if you want to look at the POV of the original listeners, then this is what they would have heard. The moment they heard that there was a man who was holding a feast, a banquet, depends on which translation you read, they would have realized, A, this man is rich. Why? Because if you aren't rich, you can't have a banquet. You just literally can't do it. Your little piece of bread is not going to cut it. Okay? So they know, okay, this is a rich man we're talking about. And then when he goes on to say that there are two invitations sent out, they're like, oh, yes, okay, so this is a very rich man. He's definitely in the center of the city. And when their excuses come in, they realize, okay, it's a very rich man who, is, who was inviting very rich people in return, which you had to do because honor. Why? Because look at their excuses. They, one bought a piece of land, one bought five pairs of oxen. It was insane. It was an insane amount of oxen to buy for that time. And the other one just got married, which also meant a lot of money was spent and family politics happened. So all of their excuses are actually ways to say, I'm important. I'm rich, I'm important, and that is why I cannot come to your dinner. Okay, so they know he's rich. And then, wh why two invitations? Today we have a little of it. Um, when you have a wedding or a baptism, whatever, you send out an invitation in which you ask people to RSVP so that you know how many people to prepare for. So lots of times when, when we hear the invitation thing, we're like, oh, okay, so that's what he wanted because then he can know how much food he has to prepare and not maybe have too little and then be dishonored, okay? But that's not how it worked in those days. In those days, that first invitation that you sent out was a save the date. You all, it's becoming a trend now with weddings to send out a save the date before you send out the invitation. You don't have to reply to the save the date. It's just to let you know, okay, there's going to be this thing on that day and try and keep your calendar open. So there was, no, he, there was no expectation of them getting back to him about whether they're going to come or not with that first invitation. It was just to say, I'm having a feast. Why do they have a first invitation? And then, well, on the day of the feast, then the second one goes out. When everything is packed, the meat is smelling beautiful, it's just been, the wine is cracked open, then you go send your servants and you get them. And you say, okay, so today is the day. If you join me now, you're going to get beautiful food and we are going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to have a party. But that party was about honor. Why do I say that? Because the moment you invite somebody in that, in the ancient culture, the first thing they ask is, okay, we live in reciprocity. So you invite me, first thing I ask, selfish, can I repay the favor? Because that's what was expected. If you accept the invitation, you have to repay it by inviting the, that person, right? 
then, of course, with that, do I want to accept the invitation? Do I want to go to this party? Why would you ask that question? Because you would wonder, is this going to be good for my honor, or is it going to be bad for my honor? And that's where we get to something that we all love still, not maybe for, well, actually for the same reasons, skinner gossip. Because that's what the first invitation allowed them to do. You as a host send out to save the date, and you allow time between the save the date and the feast. Why to allow people to gossip? Because that's how they communicated. So now I've got an invitation, and I know five friends who are on my level. We are in the same honor level. We are rich. We are everything that's wonderful. So I go to them and I ask them, so did you receive an invitation from Mr. X? Yes, I did. How do you feel about it? What do we think about Mr. X? And so the story spreads because it's very important that you don't go to feasts that can be negative to you because then you lose honor. So in between the first and the second invitation, lots of skinnering goes on. And when we get to the second invitation, something really harsh happens. Because what, what is the second invitation? What happens when he sends out his servants to go and get the people? They make excuses. Well, we hear of three who make excuses. Three. We hear their excuses are very valid because they are very rich and they've just got all of these land and oxen and a wife. It's wonderful. It's not reasons. You can't say that's not a good excuse. But then we tend to forget about, okay, so we hear about three who said they can't come. But what about all of the rest of the people who were also invited, they just didn't show up? That is what we call a classic burn, an ancient burn. Because what that says is, you didn't pass the test. You sent us these invitations because you thought you were on the same level as us and we could benefit from each other, and we're saying, no, off with your head. Not literally, but that was the snub. That was the burn. So now, this guy is sitting with loads of food, and his honor has just, he's been shamed, because everybody he thought would come have just not even, most of them haven't even done, gone through the effort of making an excuse. They've just not pitched. And this is where it becomes really strange, really upside down, where it becomes exciting. Because what does the host do? Uh, most of us would have sulked, thrown a few things, maybe drank most of the wine until we felt a little better, and then tried again with something different. Because honor is what you have. Honor is everything. What does this host do? He says, fine, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm not going to do the honor-shame thing. I'm not going to do the, I'm only going to do for you what you can do for me, the quid pro quo. I'm going to say, stuff that, in um, nice English. <clears throat> stuff that, and I'm going to send my servant to go and invite from the outer layer of the city. So already we're moving honor levels down. He's inviting them to his home to come and eat of the feast. And then there's still place left over. And he does the really weird thing. He says, okay, 
So go outside of the city. There where no honor is, just people who are bad for you. Go there and invite those people to the feast because I want my table to be full. I mean, these are people that can, they can never return what he did for them. Never, ever. They don't bring anything to him. The fact that, he, that they come to his table, actually they take away because already he's been snubbed by the rich and famous. He's been told, you're not that rich and famous. Sorry for you. Now he invites the poor. He invites the outsiders, which will obviously make his honor less. So if you thought they were gossiping before, after this feast, the gossip would have been insane. But that's what he does. And that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is taking away all of that, all of the boundaries, is not worrying about the implication, because it had an implication. This was not just inviting them over and then they would have food and leave. This meant his honor was gone. This meant his position in society changed forever. And he did it. And this is what Jesus wants us to hear. This is what he says. This is the feast of the kingdom of God. So how do we bring it to today? Is everybody with me on how in the ancient world? Right. How do we bring it to today? We, especially in South Africa, we experience a lot of injustice, not necessarily directly, sometimes directly, mostly indirectly. And our first question is, how does God allow things like this to happen? Okay, in South Africa at this stage, we might ask, how does the government allow this to happen? Because we've got a Mampara president. That might be where we start. But then we are very religious in that way. We always go back to God because then God is allowing the president to be in office. So why does God allow this? It's interesting to me, side note, we are very, we're not always quick to pray, quick to um, be with God in that sense, but we are very quick to say, where is God in anything? That's interesting. Right, so yes, we ask, why does God allow this? This parable tells us we're asking the wrong question. We should be asking, why are we allowing this? And that sounds harsh, and that sounds confronting. Please bear with me. Why do I say that? We just have to look at our South African context Think about our society today, about not even just South Africa, about Pretoria. We might say, yes, but we don't, have the in, we don't have the city anymore with the limitations. There are no boundaries. To that I say, we just moved the inner city to the east and the west and Midrand, where we've got beautiful estates, whose logos are things like, if you live here, you will be safe and secure. You will experience peace. You will... All of those things are exclusive. They advertise, they market on the fact that we will isolate you and protect you from all of the rest that's going on. We live in a context, especially in Pretoria, where we've got quite a few mega churches. 
some of them happy clappy, some of them not, who are right next to dump sites or informal settlements. And I, I think that's God's way of reminding us of the kingdom of God. Because what do we do when, when we think about our religion? Yes, we think we should help other people, definitely. Most of us do that. That's wonderful. But what does that help entail? That help is about going somewhere, maybe going to them for a little while, not too long. You don't want to... And taking them bread or taking them soup or bringing them clothes and then leaving. Or if you're feeling very charitable and you want them, especially in some of the happy clappy churches, you want, to you want them to experience the spirit as it only can be felt in a tent, then you take buses to your poorer areas and you load the people into buses and you bring them to your space, you accept them, you say, okay, today is okay that you're here. You, we move you into seating where we feel you will feel the spirit the most and be furthest away from us so that we don't smell you. And then we worship together and then what do we do? We put them back in the buses and we take them back. So what does is, what is the parable talk about? It doesn't talk about help like that because what could the patron have done? Patron being the host. What he could have done, what he should have done in ancient society is he could have said, okay, fine. Uh, you guys have snubbed me, but I'll be the better person. And I'll share my food. I'll send servants, so I won't have contact with them. I'll send servants with the food to the poorer people. And they can eat the food. Which means they now owe you something. And most of the time, because they couldn't give you food back, they would, their owing you would be, oh, Mr. X is such a wonderful person. He's the most greatest, fantastic person there is. That was what you would repay him. And that, of course, would build your honor. Because if half of the city is talking about how wonderful Mr. X is, then the elite have to kind of get with it. They have to kind of say, okay, well, this is obviously a popular movement. We need to invite him once. So he could have repaired his reputation. He could have done that. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't just send food. He asks for them to come and sit at his table to have a meal with him. And I mean, you guys know that meals are, even when you are sitting in front of a TV, it's still an intimate experience because it's eating together, sharing something that was made. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, then it's really clear, I hope it becomes really clear, that the kingdom of God does not have boundaries. It does not have gates. It doesn't regulate access between people. It doesn't have levels. There is no such thing as honor or shame. Everybody is the same. Which is, that's where it becomes challenging. Because what does that mean? That means that we need to be totally immersed in situations. We can't just take bread to somebody and leave. We, start, we need to start immersing ourselves in their lives, like you would with a meal. It doesn't necessarily have to be a meal. And if we want to talk about practical ways of doing this, I don't want to make it about money. Of course, it is about money, because let's face it, there is a huge gap between 
the very rich and most of the people, most of the population in South Africa, the very poor. So yes, it is about money. But I don't want to make it as easy as saying it's about money. That's not what the kingdom of God is about, because if it's about money, we can soothe ourselves by giving money to somebody who will do great stuff with it, because they are called, specially called, they've got a heart for it, so I'm going to support them, and that means my job is done, because I've given my money. There's nothing wrong with that, please keep on doing that, but it's not just about that. It's about me, myself, getting involved in ways, about us getting involved. So, about seeing what is around us. If we were a big church and we have a dump, a literal dump, where people live off the scraps that come from your estate, what does that say about us as a church? How are we, are we living the kingdom? Is this the kingdom that we see in the feast? No, it's not. So, and of course, if we talk about boundaries in South Africa, there are lots of boundaries. I'm going to mention a few if you want to. If I don't think of one and you have it, please shout it out. But because there are more boundaries than just money, economic boundaries. And yes, this is South Africa, so the, one of the first boundaries we have to talk about is race. Race is a boundary. Just because of things like access, and I know we don't like to hear this, but if you think about the vast majority, me at the university working with students, the vast majority of people who don't have access to things are black. I know we like to feel sorry for ourselves and say, sure, studying is expensive, and what about my car, and what about my books? But I mean, these guys are asking, how am I going to eat tonight? Where am I going to have transport back? Or am I going to sleep in the library? So, yes, race is a divider. Race is a boundary. Um, and that's one we don't like to talk about, because none of us, I'm sure, I would not classify myself as racist, but I am racist sometimes. All of us are. Let's just be honest about that. Of course, there are things like class. You aren't rich enough to be friends with me. Your car is not the right kind of car. There are things like gender. Yes, I threw that one. Because it's still very, very relevant. Gender is a boundary. Gender is a divider that we use to split. Um, things like intellect. You are not smart enough for me. Which sounds, it's not what I don't want to say that. Don't think because I've got a doctoral degree I'm smart. That's not it. But so, and what, what other boundaries can you think of in South Africa? Can you think of any other examples? Sexual orientation, yes, of course, that's a very big one. We love excluding the different ones, the rainbow color, more. Sport, yes, yes, especially in the Africana culture, because I, I, I have to confess, I do not like rugby, I do not watch rugby. Judge me if you will. Yes, the tension becomes more, the silence is deafening. So, what do I want you guys, those are all kinds of boundaries. And that's why this is a really uncomfortable conversation. Because it doesn't only confront you, it confronts me as well. 
Because I have to ask, what am I doing? Or not doing? Every time I want to say, why is God allowing, I have to stop myself and say, wait, but is this God? Or is this me who is too interested in my big tent and my pastor's money, giving him a good car, rather than feeding and inviting the guys from the dump in? That's why I wanted to give you guys this. This was actually for the Paralympics. They did ads, and obviously she is paraplegic, but she's dancing because she's underwater. Taking so it's taking away boundaries, resisting walls, but it's also about enabling people to dance. It's not just about not saying, it's not just about welcoming them, it's about enabling them to be better to live better, because that what's, that's what God wants for us. In the kingdom, it's a life of abundance in the small things of every day. Okay, so for, um, I know you guys do, I'm, I'm new, kind of new. So at first the training naked thing was weird, especially when Pia posts about it because it's usually with training, physical training. But um, I understand the training naked thing now. It's about being vulnerable in your life in total, right, Denda? Good, I understand it correctly. Otherwise, I'm going to get a phone. What? Yes. Okay. And we're good at awkward. We said awkward is what we need. We're going to embrace awkward because this is also awkward. Boundaries are awkward, and moving over them is really awkward. Talking to the guy that you avoid is difficult. But God says, sorry, I'm sorry for you and your discomfort, but you should just get over yourself and do it anyway. Okay, so what I want you guys with training naked this week. Last week was, Nicholas told us that we have to consciously think about where God is in every day. Where is the field that the treasure is? Where is the pole? Where is the, what am I doing fishing? All of the ordinary things, where do I find God in them? This week, for Training Naked, I want you guys to keep on thinking as you see things happening that you want to become unhappy about, dissatisfied with, that you want to say, how can God, even how can the government, if you want to say, how can the government, stop yourself and ask, how am I allowing this? And the more important question, because it doesn't help that you just beat yourself up with a stick. We don't want you to beat yourself up with a stick. We want you to ask the next question, what can I do to help to change? What can we do to help to change? And that's what, if you see, if you see things that we as a community can start doing, that would be fantastic, bring them. Because if we are, if we say we are, part of the kingdom of God, this is a part of the kingdom, gathering, then we need to walk the talk as well. So if you see something, if you think of something, if the Spirit speaks to you in the middle of the night, and it's probably going to be awkward, you're going to think, no, I, you're going to think, I don't want it to be God. I think I'm going to say it's because I was drunk or because I was sick. That's what you need to hear, and that's what you need to bring to us. Um, obviously, we don't get it right. I don't get it right, and that's why I want us to have a prayer together, and that's how we end this. You, you don't have to clap or 
stump or I know it's difficult enough to speak with me. But I want you guys to speak with me because it's not just me, it's all of us that need to say this. And then I'll just end off with a little bit more. Can everybody see? Am I in the way? God, our fears and prejudices run deep. Sometimes we can only see our own point of view. We stick with those who are like us, rarely venturing outside our comfort zones. We do not hear those crying for justice and true peace. We blame those who are suffering and in need instead of standing by them. We deny the power of your gospel to unite us with those who are different from us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open us to new possibilities of life for all of your people and use us to enact the new life given in Christ. Lord Jesus, it's a difficult thing to say, but we want to say thank you for discomfort. Thank you for constantly nudging us to get out of our comfort zones and to start making a difference. Thank you that you never give up on us, that even though we have failed so many times and will probably fail again, thank you that your grace, that it envelops us, that we are covered. But Lord, we don't want to use your grace as an excuse. We want to, when we say we believe in you, we are part of the kingdom of God, we want to make it visible in the small ways that we can, because we can. And in that, Lord, we want to ask you, strengthen us. When our knees wobble, when, we want to, when the awkwardness takes over and we want to leave it, be the strength that drives us forward that helps us into the situation. And more than that, Lord God, you know each one of us intimately. You know the people we avoid, the situations that make us uncomfortable, the things that we, we don't want to do. Reveal them to us in this time of preparation for when we celebrate what you did, which is give everything. Help us, remind us, and give us the strength to not stop, to not speak, but to go forth and bring your kingdom. We pray this only because you, Lord Jesus, gave us the example. You lived it. You died it. And in that, we can be free and we can live. Amen. Thanks, guys. It looks like all of you are still alive. That's a good sign. Does anybody have a question or a remark? You're more than welcome if you wanted to, but you don't have to. Yes. Yeah, that's a that is that is a very difficult question. Sorry, no, no, no. I love. <laughs> I love being challenged. I love that. Yes. 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 
Yes. But you get it sometimes. Yes. Nice. <laughs> but, yes, um, I mean, that's a struggle that I'm, I find myself in constantly as well. And what I've experienced is that most things that are really valuable are the things that you get the most resistance for. So lots of times I've known this is what I need to do, and I would be beaten down by, from all angles. Um, so God wants us to be happy, but I think we need to redefine what we see as happy. Because happiness to us is a warm feeling inside my heart. It's everything is going well. Um, I feel good. And I think if we look at Jesus' life, most of his life was spent in resistance. He had to resist things. He had to fight. Yes, but he had purpose. And then that purpose is what makes you happy. And what, I mean, if we say we are part of the kingdom of God, what is our purpose? To show other people the kingdom of God, the love of Christ. That's our purpose. That's all it is. Whether you do that while driving a mini or driving or walking or doing it on a bike, that's not that's not relevant. It's about how do I bring the love of God to other people. And that might hurt you because they won't be ready to accept it. But that's what it's about. And in that purpose, that's happiness, which is difficult because it's not always, it's, it's a difficult road. But that is where happiness is. So we need to redefine our happiness because, yes, he wants us to be happy, but he wants us to make a difference first. In that difference, we are happy. We should be. Does it help? Yes. 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 No, I understand that. I, I function the same. For all of us, it's difficult. Um, I want to go as far as to say if it's not difficult, you're doing something wrong. You're not always going to be suffering, but you're always going to have resistance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, no, really, um, if you are, if everything is wonderful, that's great, but you should be asking yourself, am I missing something? Right. Any, anything else? Is everybody at peace? I don't want you to go outside with your insides all a jumble because of emotions that were not handled. Everybody good? Thanks, guys. We will see you next week. I think Nicholas is teaching. Yes. We'll continue with the parables. Thank you, Melani, again for the... It's beautiful.